0: Amen. Well, it is good to be here tonight. I appreciate this good preaching Brother Guffey just did. And I uh, agree with every word of it. Every word of it. Amen. <clears throat> I heard a story today coming down the road. It really blessed my heart thinking about it. The biggest dime I've ever been found in the world... It's called the Culligan diamond, the Cullinan diamond, C-U-L-L-I-N-A-N, the Cullinan diamond. It weighed 1.395 pounds, 3,100 carats. It was found in uh, India in 1905, and um, it was taken and tried to be shaped and so on. It was said that that diamond was worth, at the time it was found in 1905, it was worth half. Its value was half of one day of what the world spent in one day. That's how much it's worth. Most wealthy diamond, it's in the Queen of England's crown today. A piece of it. Somehow that diamond found its way to uh, a little 10-year-old prince of India's hand. Some years after 1905, he was the owner. That 10-year-old boy was the owner. It found its way by inheritance into his hands. He loved the Queen of England so that he took that that diamond, Brother Steve, at 10 years old, and placed it in the hands of the Queen of England. Not knowing the value, had no concept of how much that diamond cost. And uh, years later, after the boy grew up, he went to the London Tower where the diamond was kept in store, and they let him in to see the diamond. And the Queen was with him. And uh, he said, May I hold that diamond? They placed it in his hands. And they was leery of what he was going to do with it because as a grown man, he understood now the value of that diamond. And so he took that diamond and got on his knees and gave that diamond to that queen again. And he said, when I was a 10-year-old boy, I did not know the value of that diamond, but I so loved you that I gave it to you. But now as a grown man, I do understand the value of this diamond. And my love for you has never changed. And I'm going to resubmit my diamond back to you. After 44 years of serving the Lord, it's my great joy these days to just give myself over again to the Lord. I did not know the day I got saved the value of what I was getting that day, and neither did any of us. Forty-four years later, I understand a little bit more about the value of our Lord. I hear folk talking about being burnt out and wore out and all of that. I want to serve the Lord today greater than I ever have in my entire life, Brother Wells. Thank you for letting us come tonight, Brother Jones. Hebrews chapter 10. I want to give you one piece of a three-part message that I believe would be the mind of God for tonight. I just want you to stay in your Bible. I'm going to see more sound more teachy than preachy maybe, but I really have in my heart what I want to try to say, I think, would be the mind of the Lord. In uh, Hebrews 10, Hebrews is my favorite book of the Bible. Hebrews 10, verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, I want you to watch those words as they're magnified, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? That's a question, question mark. Because that the worshipers once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of cat goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world... He said, Sacrifice an offering thou wouldest not, but a body as thou prepared me. And burn offerings and, and sacrifice for sin and thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. and the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering, oftentimes, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, but this man, I like to talk about this man, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. And in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities, well, I remember no more. Amen. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, Amen, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say his flesh Amen. and having in high priest over oh, the house of God. I want to lose these next few words as our text and preach maybe a couple of messages here. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful, that promised. Let's to pray, Father, tonight. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, to be here, be among your people, and Lord, to experience your presence. And Lord, I pray you'd help me tonight to speak in such a way to Bring perfect glory to you, and Lord, that people would be helped. I thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for saving us each one, one by one. God, you drew us and saved us, and we're grateful. Please help us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I want to try to preach, if I can, down to verse 18. But I want to lift as the seed thought for all of the us from verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart. I want to preach on drawing near to God with a true heart. I'm a little slower than most folk. I preach a little different, but Let me give you the meaning of that word true a minute with a true heart. That word true, you realize in the Bible that the word true or truth always comes from a word that begins with aletheia, A L E T H A, aletheia or aletheos. And uh, this word amen in the Bible is always derivative from. The same word. And so truth means this, that which has, now listen closely at me. Let us draw near with a true heart. The word true means that which has not the name and resemblance of a thing only, but the real nature corresponding to that name in every respect. Let me repeat that. It's awful quiet here. Maybe you're listening, I suppose. Let us draw near with a heart that is not just in name only, but that in very essence corresponds to the nature of that name. Let me try to explain what I'm talking about. Many of you ladies have got a diamond on. There are fake diamonds, fictitious diamonds, diamonds that look like the real thing, but they're not the real thing. They're called diamond in name. They are called the name of diamond but they don't have the real nature of the diamond corresponding to the name. I'm finding a lot of folk today that uh, they have a defective resemblance to the real thing. Amen. Help me, Lord, tonight. They talk about it by name, but he didn't say, let us draw nigh to God with just a name. But may our nature, oh Lord God, may our nature, may the character that we're trying to represent be as true as the real thing. Let me try to make one more example and I'll come to my text very quickly. Some years ago, a preacher friend of mine, I won't call his name, most everybody here would know him, but did, ran into him and, and we were preaching together and he went in his pocket, and of course, I trade a lot of case pocket knives, and he went in his pocket, and he said, look what I got. I said, that's pretty. Where'd you get it? And we talked a minute, and he said, that's, that's real stag handle, real stag handle case knife. I said, let me have it a minute, and I opened it up. And If you know anything about a case knife, on the blade, on the big blade, it's got number patterns, and a five is a, a real stag and a six is an imitation. And they look the same. You can't hardly tell by eye sometimes the, the imitation and the real one. But when you put it that number, that number tells you whether it's true stag or whether it's imitation stag that resembles true stag. I'm afraid a lot of folks sit in our churches today When they're put under the microscope of God's word. It looks real on the outside. They come to church. We've got a situation developed. Our church, I ain't got time to run a rabbit, but made aware of it yesterday evening that this lady's preparing to leave her husband. And she's making plans right now. She's gonna do it in two weeks. and I watched her last night. She didn't even know I know it. And I watched her last night. She just sang just like nothing's wrong. And uh, I tell you, friend, God's telling us that if we're going to draw near to God, we've got to draw it with a real heart and a true heart, not just something that fictitiously resembles the true outwardly so. I want to deal tonight with the realities that's associated with drawing nigh to God. May I say this? I've got to hurry here, but may I say this tonight? Everybody that's saved, it ought to be the desire of your life to draw nigh to God. I want to be close to God. I want to walk with God and try to find the power of God and the presence of God in my life. You better draw nigh to God in these days of apostasy and apathy and anger at the things of God. You better do everything in your power to draw nigh to God. It's only God's power. It's only been close to God. There's something now come to my text. There's something that drawing close to God, it just brings comfort to your heart. And not only does it bring comfort to your heart, it brings conviction to your heart. And it brings correction to your heart. And it gets rid of the corruption in your heart. Let me ask you a question before I say what I want to say. and I've got too far to go to middle around here much, but let me ask you a question how many people do you think you know that are near God? Come on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Come on. How many people do you think you know that really, really are near the Lord? in this thing of the realities... Can we really get close to God? I'm taking my time a minute. Is it really permissible? Does God really allow us? Can we really get close to God? God in his holiness. God in his majesty. Can we get close to a God that's so great, so holy? Can we really get close to God? Is it possible? Not only is it permissible, is it possible? Let me ask you another question. I want to try to extract some truth out of these first few verses here. Is it profitable to be near the Lord? We all know that verse of Scripture, draw nigh to God, and He will Thrown out of you. Would y'all help me out there a minute and pray for me a little bit here? Uh, I want to talk in these first few parts of these verses about the failures of the first covenant. The failures of the first covenant that disallowed us from being near the Lord. The, the word that described uh, the relationship of the believer. In the Old Testament with God was the word distance. Nobody could draw nigh to God. Listen at me closely. Only one man one day out of a year had the right to go back there into the holy place and draw nigh to God. The word was distance. Amen. He could not get near the Lord. No matter how much he hungered. No matter how much they desired, they could not get near the Lord. The one thing that hindered everybody from getting near the Lord in the Old Testament was one little word called sin. And that sin had never been dealt with. Listen, nobody could get near God until sin had been thoroughly, fully Finally and forever dealt with, but may I say when the sin is dealt with, amen, the door is open, and the way into the access to God is made real, so that anybody now, not one man, one day, once a year, so that anybody, any time, any place, everybody can, get near the Lord. This message won't mean much to you. You don't have the hunger to be near the Lord. So let's look at her text a minute. Let's talk a minute about the failures, the failures of the first covenant. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. But in 2, the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself for the heirs of the people, the Holy Ghost. This signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet, thank God it didn't say was not, this said not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Look at chapter ten verse one, for the law having a shadow. Of good things to come. That word shadow means simply a faint image, but not the very substance. Amen. And that had a shadow of good or benevolent and profitable and useful things to come, and not the very image, not the very reproduction, not the perfect picture of them, of the things. Look at that little word now can never. Can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers they too perfect. Let me give you five things that could not happen under the old covenant, under the old testament. Five things that could not happen. Number one, may I say that old covenant, never, that old covenant uh, never could make the, the come the, never, it could never perfect the comer. Let me repeat that. It could never perfect perfect the comer. Notice what he said there. It can never make the comer thereunto perfect. Let me just study here a minute with you. That word perfect means complete. It means finish. It means to reach a prescribed end. It can never reach a predetermined goal. Amen. That word comer means one that would draw an eye, one that would come, one that would come forward. He's saying this, under that first covenant, a person could never be perfect. He can never be complete. He can never be full. He can never be whole. In other words, there would never be a finished work inside of him, not just a finished work, Finished work that Jesus did, but there can never be a finished work inside of him. He can never be complete. I mean, take my time. I told you this would be more teachy than I guess it would preachy. But hear me a minute. But thank God under The second covenant under the new covenant. The Bible said it pleased God that in the full, that in Christ should all the fullness of God dwell. Amen. And thank God you are complete in Christ. You can come now because the work inside the believer has been perfected. Amen. I want to say thank God when you get saved, you're fully justified. Justified, totally justified, amen, amen. Look what he said in chapter 10, verse 14. I'm trying to say you can come and near the Lord. Verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected. And that old covenant, there could be no perfecting or finishing, completing, reaching, a, perf- a performed or a prescribed end. But when you get in Christ, I know you got to build a while and let this whole thing go where it's going. But once you get in Christ, amen, the work is done. You are complete. Listen at me here tonight. Everybody in this building has the same right to come into the presence of God as the high priest of old did. One day the veil's been torn down and every one of us has the right now to get in God's presence and draw near the Lord. I don't care if you're 10 or 100. I don't care what kind of life you lived in the past. You have the right now to draw nigh to God. I really believe the reason most folk don't draw nigh to God is they can't see that in Christ they're complete. You are complete. It pleased God that in Christ should all fullness dwell. And when you got in Christ, you're complete in Christ. Now, I ain't taking away what I'm going to preach another message if the Lord allows it so, but uh, you're complete right now. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. There is no more work to be done in you as far as salvation is concerned. You're as saved right now as you're going to ever be. You will be no more saved when you've been in heaven a million years than you are right now. I'm done out shouting around. I am safe. I'm saved. I'm safe. I'm kept by the power of God. The work of God is done inside the believer. I am complete in Christ. I don't mean this way it comes out. I don't need anything else. When I got Christ, I got everything. It can, never make the, the, it can never perfect the comer under that old covenant. But notice the second truth. Not only could it not perfect the comer, look in chapter 10, verse 2. It gives us a second truth. That old covenant can never purge the conscience. Look at verse 2. For then, if, it, if the first sacrifices in the Old Testament made the comer thereunto too perfect, then, if that were possible, then would they not have ceased to be offered? The offerings would have stopped because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. It can never cleanse or purge the conscience. That's hard menu you to get a hold of. Brother Guffey talked about a while ago that When he got saved, he didn't fully understand it, but he just got up and said, I just feel clean all over. I want you to listen to me a minute. If you take, take, (laughs) if you disagree with what I'm saying, I think you need to study a little more. But (laughs) under the Old Testament, when a man came to worship God and confessed all his sins, He never had that clean feeling. His conscience wasn't purged. You remember that night, praise God, Brother Yoke, you remember that night, that day, that Sunday, that whatever day, wherever it was? You remember Brother Jack, and you fell in that altar with a load of sin and guilt in your mind. Amen. But thank God when you got under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, that conscience was purged. Amen. That conscience was made clean. You got up, thank God, and the load of condemnation and the load of guilt and the conscience was cleansed and freed from the condemnation of sin. They couldn't draw nigh to God. We'll see it another night, but they couldn't draw nigh to God because their conscience. Amen. Their conscience. And the word conscience means, it mean, it's, it, it's the word science. And it's a science that knows self. Their, their, their knowledge of themselves was always there. They could never get free uh, from the knowledge of their own sin and the guilt of their own sin. But I have a right tonight to draw nigh to God. Not only because, thank God, when Jesus came, He finished the work, He perfected in me. But now thank God I can come to him because my conscience has been purged. Look at chapter 9, verse 9. Again, he said this. He said, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him, that did the service perfect as can pertain to the conscience. His conscience can never be clean. Is there anybody here tonight that can give me a witness that after you got saved, God purged your conscience? Are y'all with me out there? I don't understand it and you don't either. But I know one thing. I've got crossed with God since I got saved. I've got wrong with God since the day I got saved. Have you ever done that? You know, the first thing that happens the minute your conscience, the minute you get cross with God, your conscience starts accusing you. And you start wanting to do the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. You want to flee from God, you want to run from God. But thank God when you go back to the same place and the same blood, amen, that met you there and saved your soul and confessed that sin again, thank God at that moment, God frees you from the guilt. He frees your conscience and you have access to God freely and joyously to come into the presence of God. Amen. You could not... Look at verse number three. But in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance again made of sins every year. You know all that Old Testament sacrifice did? It just simply reminded them that they hadn't been made right with God yet. Fully right. The word remembrance here, this word remembrance in itself it speaks of it's, it's a word that means recollection. Uh, the old-timers my daddy was an old-timer, and uh, he would say, he would say, uh, brother, he would say something like this, "To the best of my recollection." How many of y'all use that word, a reverent word. best of my recollection. You know what the word really means? The word remembrance, it really means exactly that. It's a recollection. That's the mean word, remembrance. It, it, it's actually the word anamnēsis, And it means a recollecting of something. A regathering up. And what a remembrance is, is a recollecting of th- thoughts that have gone before. And all that Old Testament sacrifice could do was recollect. It recollected the sins. And on atonement day, that priest went into that into that holy of holies. And all he done is God said, I want you to be reminded. I want you to be reminded that it's not done yet. That veil's still there. Once a year, and, he, and all he walked out, and all the people said is, Lord, it's not done yet. God just reminded them another year. That their sins, thank God one day, one day, yonder on an old hill called Calvary, thank God the dear Lamb of God is going to gather them up again. And when he gathers them up again, thank God he is going to deal with them. Somebody help me. That Old Testament sacrifice could not perfect the comer. According to verse 1, it could not purge the conscience. All it did was highlighted the sins and the sin problem. No material remedy can come for a moral problem. Amen. Let me just stop a minute. Amen. Look what he said in verse number 4. He said in chapter 9, verse 9, could not. Chapter 10, verse 1, can never. says again in verse 4, for it's not possible. Not possible. Can't ever happen that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. They can't draw near to God till the sin problem's taken care of. Y'all see where this is going, don't you? Amen. Could never take away sins. All it did is just cover them over for another year. They're still there. But they're just covered over but they're still there. They can't draw nigh to God cause the sin problem still between them and God. It could never take away sin. If it had been going on for a million years, it would have never taken away sin. But standing on the banks of the River Jordan one day, old John looked up and saw one walking down the banks. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. He ain't gonna just cover them anymore. Thank God, he's going to take the sins away. Amen. What could not be done under the Old Testament economy is gonna be done under the New Testament economy. The thing that stood between God and man And man drawn nigh to God was his sin problem. It couldn't perfect the comer. It couldn't purge the conscience. And so he's always guilty and he can never get close to God until the sin problem's gone. Amen, I gotta move on. Aren't you glad that the cross, aren't you glad, thank God, the Lamb of God, Bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Carried them down, thank God, to the underworld. Emptied them up where they ought to be emptied up. Rose again on the third day. Thank God, carried away. My conscience is clean tonight. My soul is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I have access to God through what Christ's done for me at the cross. There's a third thing that the Old Testament economy could not do. Verse 1, it could not perfect the comer. Verse 2, it could not purge the conscience. Verse 3, verse 6 on. Verse 5 on. It could not please the Creator. Look at verse 5. Wherefore, you have to understand the the bigness of that word can never in verse 1. And the bigness of that word, not possible, in verse 4. Wherefore, you have to get yourself in the context of verse 1 through 4. It ain't going to happen. Y'all, let me preach just a minute here. It ain't going to happen. If it goes on 10 million years, it ain't going to happen. Wherefore, when He cometh, it's all about Jesus into the world. And I'm talking about can't please the Creator. He says, Sacrifice an offering. Thou wouldest not, but a body. That's the virgin-born Son of God. But a body has thou prepared me in burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. Amen. Verse number eight. Above, when he said sacrifice and all that offered and burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou wouldest not, neither had it their pleasure, which are offered by the law. Y'all still with me? It can never please the Creator. Rivers of blood. We got a hunch. If you could take Everest lamb, dove, bullock, sheep and lamb, that was slain from the inception of time until Calvary. It would literally be a river of blood. It was places they slid, they, they slid, slew up to 70,000 lambs in a day. But all that blood... And all them bodies. And all blend all those whole bodies, burn offerings, and burn those bodies and that smoke going up to God. And all that blood sprinkled around that altar and poured around that altar. It could never please God. Amen. God looked down through time and said, I'm not pleased. Amen. But look at the rest of it. Hallelujah. Amen. My soul's about to have a spell. Which are offered by the law. Amen. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will. Oh God, He saith, Taketh away the first, that He may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It can never please the Creator. I want you to listen to this or you'll miss up. You'll miss what I'm saying. and You'll think I'm preaching false doctrine if you don't listen to me well. Not one sacrifice that was ever offered in the Old Testament pleased God. Now I want you to listen closely to this statement. Because a sacrifice was never given. And an offering never given. Was never given. You hear me well, or you'll make you think I'm preaching wrong. A sacrifice and an offering was never given. The whole concept of a burnt offering—you study in Leviticus chapter one. The whole concept of a burnt offering—it must be offered willingly. A life must be given to make atonement for sin not taken. No life was ever given in the Old Testament. Every life was taken. And it never pleased God because there was never a willing. Voluntary sacrifice. But when he come, he said, I come to do thy will. Oh God. Nobody, John 10, 17, nobody taketh my life from me. I have power to lay it down. Amen. And I have power to take it up again. He Gave his life. Hallelujah. Once i saying, my soul, oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. They didn't take his life. Read it again. Look at verse number eight, eight again. Look at verse seven. Look at verse six. Amen. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hadst had no pleasure. Why? Then said I lo I come in the volume of the book this, this thing is recorded in a book and made ready through a body it's written to me to do thy will O oh God above when he said sacrifice and offering, and burn off offer for sin thou wouldest not neither hadst thou pleasure therein which are offered by the law every Old Testament sacrifice was offered under law y'all with me Verse 9, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Lord, I'm about preached out. Thank God he willingly, he did what no other sacrifice had ever been done. Every lamb, they took it and took its life. Every oxen and bull ox and turtle dove, they took their life. And God said, I ain't pleased with that. I need somebody that's willing to give their life. Galatians 1 4, who gave himself for us that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Amen. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He gave himself an offering. When he went to Calvary, they didn't kill Jesus. He gave his life. And the blood of an animal can never please God. But thank God in a perfect body, with pure blood, with a perfect desire to perfectly please God, to lay down his life. God said, right there's what I've been looking for. I've been looking for a perfect body and a pure blood. And I've been looking for a perfect will. Amen. And thank God, when he laid his life down, God said, now I'm pleased. Amen. man. Amen. Listen to Isaiah fifty-three, ten. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. You know the reason I can come near God tonight? God's satisfied. (laughs) He's not satisfied in me. He's not satisfied in my way, my walk, my talk. I'm saying I can come before God tonight because God is satisfied with His Son. I realize, and if the Lord would allow us to preach again, I want to deal with some of these other verses and that apply, they're as much applicable as these are. But I'm just saying, uh, they could not perfect the comer. They could not purge the conscience. They could not please the creator. But according to verse 10, they cannot purify the confessor. That's right. Three, By the which will we are not going to be. Verse 14, by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, I know y'all know men well enough to know that I'm not in any way saying that you can sin, get by. It's not what I'm saying at all. You know that. I'm talking about your positional uh, position and justifying faith in Christ. You're already and the eyes of God and the mind of God you're already sanctified and you're already perfected and here's how I, can, I don't believe that that's the reason you have a problem drawing the eye to God it's not do you realize that God ain't got nothing against you God ain't got nothing against you you preach like this and people make you look like you're like you're preaching false doctrine. Now, I'm not talking about your walk with God and your fellowship daily with God. I ain't talking about that. We'll see that in the remainder of these verses. I told you I'm just going to preach the verse 18 tonight. He said this, this is the reason you can come and draw nigh to God. You're already perfected. I believe in living right and walking right and dressing right and practice it and preach it. And I'll guarantee you there ain't a man in this building got a more of a dress code standard than me and my wife's God. So I'm not doing, I'm not, that's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying not to live right. I'm saying it's not till you realize that Christ at the cross has fully taken care of your sin debt. Son, it is paid in full. And it's never going to fall like Silicon Valley did yesterday. <laughs> That'd help some of you, even you young people, you get a hold of that. You'd want to live back there in the presence of God when you know that you, have not just a, you don't just have an invitation back there. You have a right back there. A lot I'd like to say right there, but it can never purify the conscience. But once you get in Christ, more about that Old Testament, that old economy. Let me say a fifth thing quickly. Lord, have mercy. It could not make the priesthood complete. Let me tell you one more time. It could not purge the conscience. Perfect the comer. Please the creator. It could not purify the confessor. That Old Testament economy, that Old Covenant, could never make the priesthood complete. Look what he said in verse 11. And every priest standeth, take that word and underline it, daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. There it is that word again, can never. That's what he could not do, could never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God. Do you know why? The priesthood is now complete. Y'all looking at me like I'm way out charting the left field somewhere. The priesthood's done. No need of a priest no more on this earth. No need of a tabernacle no more. No need of a knife and an altar anymore. No need of a basin and a brush anymore. There'll never be another sacrifice made. The priesthood is complete. I know that you all know this. I know you do. Everybody in here knows it, but it's still good to rehearse it. The only piece of furniture that you won't find in an Old Testament tabernacle was a chair. There wasn't anyone in there. In the morning, he had to go in there, stop at the lever, and wash up again. Go a little further and Put some offerings up on that sack, on that burn off, that uh, brazen altar again. Go back there and light the candlestick again and put some fresh bread on there again. Go back home that night. It still wasn't done. Go back the next day. And start all over again. It was never a chair because the work never was done. Thank God when Jesus Christ took the blood and put it on the mercy seat who is he himself and thank God sat down at the right hand of God. He cried on earth before he ever left here. He said, it is finished. And Mark said about him in Mark 16, he said, and so after he had said these things unto them. He was received up into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God. And the Bible even says here look at that, uh, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Hey man, I've got to close here. I ain't going to even finish even this text, but he knows it's coming to day. Catholicism is going to be put under his feet. Buddhist and communism and, and Buddhism and, and all the rest of that, all the enemies of God is going to be put under the feet. Up in our state, Virginia, the emblem of our state is a man with his, that has got a rod of a thing and he's got his foot on the neck of his enemies. And all them Old Testament Uh, kings, when they defeated a king, they defeated somebody, and I'm trying to close, I ain't going to finish this tonight, but when they defeated him, they'd take take his blood, the king that they defeated, his blood, and they'd sprinkle it on their vesture. they'd come back downtown with their blood sprinkled on his clothing. That's what he's talking about in Isaiah 63 and 64. When he comes from Basra one day, Amen. After going to the battle of Armageddon, defeating all the kings of the earth. Amen. He's going to take up their blood and sprinkle it on his garments. He's going to march down through the city with their blood on him. But what they do, they take their foot, they set it on the neck of their enemy. and They'd say, I've conquered all. Amen. Someday thank God all the gods and kings and isms and schisms and beliefs of this world that's been opposed to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someday thank God he's going to put his foot on the neck of every bit of it. Amen. He's expecting you know why? He's done conquered sin and now he's going to conquer everybody that's going to rebel against his conquest of sin. Amen. A lot of things I could say. Let me close. He talks in verse 1 through 13 about the failures of the first covenant. He talks in verse 14 through 19 about the finality of the second covenant. He talks about, look at verse 15. I'll close here, though I could say a lot more, but I'll close here. He talks about the freshness of the witness of the comforter now. Verse 15, Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that i 'll make with them after those days, saith the Lord I'll put my laws in their hearts, and their minds will erode them their sins and iniquities. will I remember no more now, where there's remission of these is, there is no more need for an offering anymore. listen to this and I 'm done. He says, now that you're under the New Testament economy, you've got a witness in the person of the Holy Ghost. There's three words in closing. Let me share with you quickly. According to Hebrews 10, 15, there's a witness to us. That's what he said. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. This regards the facts of our redemption. In 1 John 5, 10, he says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Hebrews 10, 15, there's a witness to us that deals with the facts of our redemption. In 1 John 5, 10, there's a witness in us that deals with the faith of our redemption. But in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our Spirit. There's a witness to us. There's a witness, bore witness in us. And there is a witness that the Holy Ghost bears witness with our spirit. I want to say this, and I hope I don't get cross with nobody. I don't understand folk that say they're saved and doubt it all the time. We've got a witness to us, in us, and the Holy Ghost bearing witness with our spirit—a threefold witness to us in the Scriptures, in us with the Spirit, and with us when the Holy Ghost gets to moving. And I'm done here, but. And understand when the Holy Ghost gets to moving in in a crowd, some gets happy and thanks God they're saved because His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're saved. But in the same service where the Holy Ghost is bearing witness to, with, and in, some, others, starts doubting. Don't that strike you a little odd? I'm never forgetting. I'm preaching on drawing nigh with a true heart. Why can we draw nigh? Because the comers have now been perfected. The conscience has been purged. The Creator has been pleased. The confessor has been purified. And the priesthood has been completed. And so after he getting all the way down to that next verse down there, he says, let us, because of all these things, let us draw near. Now I'll close with this statement. These wicked, depraved, ungodly days, the only thing that's going to keep you from falling by the wayside is that you daily seek to draw nigh to God. Amen. Now I want to be honest with you. Mr. Willie, come on, I'm done, Brother Ronnie, whatever I'm done. An old man that ordained me back in nineteen seventy-nine, he preached the last few years of his life blind. He preached for sixty-three years. He told me many times before he died, he said, preacher, he said, uh, things are different today than it was when I started. He said, you can go to church on Sunday. When I started, there was no such thing as having to counsel with people with marriage problems. It didn't exist. He said there was no such thing as having to talk to people about their children driving them crazy on dope and drugs and alcohol and every kind of fornication and all. He said we didn't have those problems. He said you go to church, you could get happy, you could shout and enjoy God. He said you can literally go two weeks on that high. He said you'd still be rejoicing a week later of what God done last Sunday. He said, but today, you can go to church, have a good service, get happy, and before you come back the next night or even Monday morning, the devil's done beat you to death. Does anybody find that to be true? We had a good meeting yesterday. God moved, helped us. Went home feeling pretty good. Three o'clock my phone rang. One of the men in the church said I'm not trying to cause trouble. He said, I think you need to know this and call this lady by name. He said she's planning on leaving her husband. One of our ladies in the church, getting everything together right now to leave her husband two weeks. Ever bit of the joy that I'd had yesterday morning. Got thinking God's gonna do something for a church a little while back. We're doing $250,000 worth of work around their building right now. Got thinking God's going to God, gonna help us. Just excited. A piano player got cross. Left. Older couple got mad and left. Young girl got twins, got mad and left. And I'm telling you tonight, it just saps all the life out of you. Just sucks a life right out of you. And I'm dead isn't sit sound. Sometimes I'm like Jehoshaphat. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. That's what Jehoshaphat said to the Lord. Lord, we don't know what to do. But I tell you the only thing I know to do after 44 years that'll work, it always has and it always will. Let us draw near to the Lord with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, He's faithful that promised by the Raleigh.